0: He nae nā i pūrangi nā te irirangi o Aotearoa.
1: Kia ora e welcome to Country Life, I'm Duncan Smith.
0: Great to have your company. Ko Sally round, Denne. Today we find out why bugs are the main theme at
1: this year's Ashburton a and show. We revisit a garden where ropes and special tools act as eyes for Taranaki's inspirational Graham Mosin.
0: And we hear about the daily struggles and successes of a woman who farmed almost single-handedly when her husband was away during the Second World War.
1: But now to a look at conditions on the land. The ground sodden on Northland farms after about 150mm of rain earlier this week. Our contact says it's nigh on impossible to get tractors into paddocks to sow crops. At local spring fairs, cattle prices have peaked and it's hard work trying to sell sheep. Our contact says farms are holding back from buying stock due to economic uncertainty and fears of drought. Mild spring weather with sufficient rainfall has been good for growth in Pukekohe. Our contact says the light supply of most vegetables should no longer be an issue.
0: A commercial blueberry grower in Waikato says there's another two months of harvesting to go in his tunnel houses. In the outdoor crop, flowering's all but finished, but the cool and moist conditions were not great for pollination. Harvesting gets underway in seven weeks. Staff are busy planting new varieties, mowing and weeding and doing machine maintenance. A Bay of Plenty avocado grower says his orchard's in the middle of the pollination phase. As the bees buzz around doing their thing, staff are thinning 30 to 50 per cent of the fruit-bearing flowers on trees. He says early avocados will be ripe for picking from late November
1: onwards. A farm consultant in Taranaki says pasture growth's doing well at around 70 kilos of dry matter per hectare each day and lots of silage is being made. Mating's in full swing on dairy farms with good submission rates. It's been a beautiful warm spring in Titai Rafati. There's plenty of moisture. The grass is starting to spring back. There have been some record-breaking docking results, though the trick will now be to ensure enough feed for all. It wouldn't take long to dry out with the windy conditions they've been having. Farmers are just starting to be able to get in to do that heavy rehab work on dams and tracks and ensure water systems are ready for summer. They're being advised to try and break open dams if they can't get in to dig out the silt. Ensure animals have another water source and let the dams dry out until you can fix them as stock could get stuck in the mud trying to drink.
0: Apple trees have just finished blooming in Hawke's Bay and thinning will kick off in a couple of weeks. Stone fruit orchards are well into hand thinning. It's been a good spring, no significant hail or frost, warm with a lot of sun. A consultant says while there have been significant losses from this year's cyclone, they're seeing resilience among surviving apple and pear trees, despite the waterlogging and silt. The same can't be said for stone fruit and kiwifruit, where it's now apparent whole blocks have completely died. It's still pretty saturated in some parts of Rangatike Manawatu. Pasture covers are generally good and are coping with peak feed demand at the moment. Docking results have been mixed.
1: It's been a stop-start spring in Wairarapa and the challenging season is not over yet. But the ground is drying out and finally heavy machinery can get onto the land. It's been an 18-month wait for one farmer to do the work needed. Dairy guys are flat out with mating and are a little happier with milk prices, while those in the lamb business are not that optimistic. Rural support is still very active out at the coast eight months after Cyclone Gabrielle. In the vineyard, sprinklers have been on, keeping late spring frosts at bay. To the South Island now, to Waipanamu. At Tapawera, in the Nelson region, the late chill of August has set hops up well for strong growth. Hop strings are in place and teams of workers are training the vigorous hop binds up the strings. A time consuming task but if done correctly can give a superior yield at harvest and make the hop picking equipment process the crop more efficiently. Grass growth in the area is also excellent giving ewes and lambs every opportunity to gain weight. Some good sunshine would be nice.
0: The Marlborough Sounds has been feeling more cooler southerly winds than usual. The farmer we talked to says this week, though, a couple of brilliant hot days were welcomed by ewes with lambs at foot. Surplus ewe hoggets have been sent off the property to lighten the load, and cows and calves are doing well. Because of the wet summer and autumn, there's been significant Purina grass scrub survival. The pest is consuming more grass than the livestock in some areas of the farm. It'll become dormant shortly, but is likely to have an impact on lamb growth rates. On the west coast, a farmer at Ross in South Westland has got a good feeling about the 23-24 season. His cows are in tip-top condition and milking well. In fact, production's up 7-8% to on last year. There's plenty of feed around and paddocks are still firm under hoof, despite regular rainfall. Artificial insemination, or AI, is due to start next week, but other farmers in the district are well into it already, he says.
1: The last month has been frantic on our Contacts Hororata farm in Canterbury, with fodder beet, kale, swedes, hybrid radish, spinach seed and maize being planted. Fertiliser spreading and spraying has been difficult with a lot of windy conditions. Irrigation's now on as soils dry and temperatures increase. Bulls have also arrived and are out doing their job with the dairy heifers. A sheep and beef farmer in South Otago says he's expecting 2023 to be the worst financial year in his 40 years of farming. Farm costs are up 15 to 17% and income is down 20%. Lamb prices are predicted to drop $2 a kilo on last year and we all know about strong wool prices. He says if he could retire tomorrow, he would. On the bright side, there's plenty of feed around and lambing and tailing finished up this week. Next up, the lambs will be drenched and the last mob of heifers will be trucked to the works. A is in full swing on a Matora dairy farm in Southland. Cows are just past peak milk production. Currently, they're producing 2.3 kilograms milk solids per day, but this will drop when they get pregnant. New grass and crops are in the ground, but windy conditions are making life difficult for spray contractors. Our contact says the farmers he's talked to are holding back on spending until they know what policy changes will be made in the ag sector. This is Country Life on RNZ National
2: 101FM.
0: Now to a story from our archives. Graham Mosen is an educator, a designer, a woodworker, a cyclist and a gardener, and an inspiration to many. And although Graham has lost his sight, he continues to do what he's always done. I popped into his Inglewood home a couple of years ago when he and his mates and wife, Val Mosen, were enjoying a warm spring morning.
3: Well, let me introduce you to my oldest friend. uh, uh, This is Brian. Brian and I started the Terranek Environmental Education Trust back in the 1990s and uh, <laughs> Quite a while, we've journeyed that path and all its stories ever since. But look, there's a sneaky little breeze, let's wander up the hill.
0: Okay. Graham knew he was losing his vision 30 years ago and he's adapted the property so he can, as he says, still exist in the landscape. Graham, I've heard that you have ropes that have helped you get to the, the letterbox.
3: Yeah, I used to have one from that door down to the letterbox, but uh, because I've now started to learn how to use a cane properly, uh, <laughs> I've um, disbanded that one, and the ropes just start um, up here a bit. So um, so we've walked up to
0: your home, and there's a big sign saying Taranaki Environment Centre. Closed. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I should put that by appointment, only. <laughs> it's lovely. What we did after 25 years was um, pass the baton on. And, um, yeah, it's a really nice feeling that uh, the current baton holders have, have got it now operating under the guise of sustainableteranaki.org. They're busy doing the dreams that Brian and I set in place.
4: We used to have education days for schools, kindergartens. That's Val, Graham's wife. agriculture courses, but... Uh, other centres have taken on that task. school started up and the need for action here diminished. So it's back to the two of us.
3: Um, I've got, um...
4: Graham
0: shows me the tandem bike he rides while his mate Brian in his 90s gets behind the wheatgrass <laughs> juicer and Ray mans the home-built pizza oven. <laughs> you were the original greenies of Taranaki. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you man. Well, today we can offer you a... Uh, a short green or a long black? <laughs> um, we're just in the middle of digging a kumara Garden, so uh, we could wander up there and uh, introduce yeah, you to the Broad great. Fork.
5: The Broad Fork? I'll follow the you. The Broad Fork,
3: yeah, the Yuba. Um, because we've been here this long, we've been milling trees. Um, this is some of the furniture we've made.
0: Graham used to teach woodwork, and he still enjoys building stuff from wood milled from the property.
3: We'll go through the woodshed and I can show Sally the uh, uh, some planks of uh, wood with have I'm actually a genetic mutation. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm a mutant, but I've got a condition called retinitis pigmentosa, where... I've got a, uh, a point mutation on one nucleotide on the rhodopsin gene, and it enables me not to recycle all the, uh, the visual pigment. So over time, it's built up like freckles on your skin, and the vision sort of closes in, closes in, and a, a nice a dirty mist comes in, and then eventually...
0: Can you see light and shade? Well, um, light and shade, of yeah.
3: Um, I can see the smile on your voice is uh, about the best vision I've got. But um, as for seeing anything, no, I, it's all by feel now. So what you're looking at here, Sally, is a uh, Husqvarna 2100 with a um, an Alaskan mill that I made. So this is the latest tree we've uh, milled. It's a walnut tree. And... Um, there it is. Right, so we're at the uh, back edge... Of Out the of the
0: woodwork area, we rejoin the rope system.
3: And uh, we've just re-jiggled the ropes here, Sally, so this is your escape route should you uh, now have this... to flee to your next apartment. <laughs> Graham's
0: so... following the ropes with his. So, so. Using your sticks as well at the same time. There's a lot going on in this series Two, uh, of circles, yeah. from composting to biodynamic preparations to building projects and vegetable plots.
3: So it's designed, so this acts like a parabolic arc. So the morning sun hits here and bounces down. So each circle has a a focus point of the sun. So this is a hexagonal garden. There are six paths. So if we go right around, it's a circle. But if we just walk over here, we, we should hit... Yeah, oh, just right.
0: there. Yes. We come to the vegetable garden with ropes and posts demarcating different areas.
3: We should find the central pole. Uh, so, if you see now, there are six poles here. It's a hexagon, mm-hmm. Night with a radius of nine feet. The fire in the centre is nine feet from each pole. So it's based on the on the bee, you know, the hexagon of the beehive. So basically, it's designed for a. Uh, a blind guy so he won't get lost in the garden. Uh, so from each pole here, with, with my cane, I can touch uh, two poles. So that's where the path is. And, uh,
0: Part of the garden is set aside for a group of visually impaired people who are to be planting kumara and potatoes in about six weeks' time.
3: So this garden here is going to be the kumara garden. And for a few years now we've had a group of blind gardeners plant kumara and then come back and and harvest them. So, um, yeah, developing um, a garden to show that, you know, no matter what your visual perception is, uh, you can do anything. This is the one we've just dug. This is for potatoes. Now, we're going to put you to work over here on this garden. We've just finished that one. And, uh, so here it is, this is the... Uh, this is the U-bar. It's sort of like a rake, but it's giant. It's a big fork, yeah. Um, I've just discovered... You're that...
0: expecting me to get in there and use well, that?
3: Well, we'll demo first. <laughs> <laughs> Let me show you what it looks like.
0: So Graham's getting underneath. He's gone under,
3: underneath the ropes, and you're... Yeah, so this is my ...at rope. the
0: helm of, of the broad fork. Graham has guide ropes and planks to help him while he's digging the bed.
3: Alright, so what we do, Sally, is. Does uh, yep. it
4: doesn't wobble
3: on you? We have to uh, get into a bit of um, acrobatics. And Graham's us... jumping on top of the broad fork. Jiggling and wiggling to get it in.
0: And then pulling it back. Lifting the soil. Bells the weeder.
3: The collaborative concept is like a big chook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wherever I am, I know where I am. And in this garden design, because it's working on a crop rotation, that one there was for Coomera's last year. Now this is the Coomera garden. And so we did have chooks, so it would have been chooks, then potatoes, and then legumes, and then root crops.
0: The ropes help guide you to the garden as well as well, within the garden.
3: So let me see if it works. I've got to find my sticks again, Sally, because I put them down and lose all the time. All right, so, uh, so this is past the compost heap.
4: Yep, that's is right,
0: it? that's the compost heap.
3: This is composted uh, Tradescantia, wandering woolly. And uh, people think it's a horrible weed, but it makes fantastic compost. All right, now we've got to be lucky silly to get back to base camp, so let's see if we can do it. <laughs> We should be able to get back to the um, to the hand basin. Once you've done your mahi, uh, uh, Sally, then you might be like me, a little bit grubby. So you can, uh, can spruce up before we get back to uh, civilization.
0: And that's where we join Ray, Brian and Val for a cuppa in the sun. Because
4: his eyesight has been so gradual, it's been a constant adaptation. So he hasn't had the shock of a sudden loss. So he's been able to modify, adapt, change, take on different challenges. And, you know, he's, he's always looking forward now rather than harking back. So this um, property
0: is a demonstration of how he has adapted as the years yes, have gone by?
4: absolutely, yeah. To me, it shows a very inventive mind. Oh, it does. One of the scariest phrases in the English language for me is Graham... Saying, sitting there very quietly and then saying I've just had a vision and you think, oh my gosh, here's another huge project he's about to undergo <laughs> so sometimes it needs a little bit of reining in and re- refining. So he's it's... able to operate in this garden pretty much as before? Yep, yep. I'd trail around after him and make sure he doesn't sort of fall over things but he's quite capable of moving around here on his own occasionally he might get disoriented when he's up around the other side of the house up in that big garden up the back. But he always has his phone with him, so I get a phone call saying, can you see me?
0: <laughs> When's the next project?
4: Well, we won't know until I hear those immortal words. I've just had a vision.
0: Val Mosin. Graham's still running gardening workshops for blind people. And he's got one on coming up this week. And they'll be planting spuds this time as the kumara haven't been so successful lately. Graham's also still keeping busy in
1: his workshop. Last Friday morning, Cosmo Kendish Barnes was driving to Tomuka to record a story for Country Life. Along the way, he stopped in at the Ashburton A&P show. Inside the gates, volunteer staff were zooming around on side-by-sides, the first few visitors were checking out high-tech ag machinery, and farmers were mingling as the first equestrian events got underway. In the middle of it all was a proud man with
6: a big smile. My name's Victor Shakur, and I'm the president of the Ashburton AMP Association, and we're here at the Ashburton Showgrounds. Tell me a bit about the show here. How long has it been going? Well, this is the 146th show. So 1877. I wasn't quite around in those days. Um, but I've been going to shows for or involved with for 40-odd years, I suppose. What's your background in, in the industry? Well, I'm off a farm at Mount Summers, a family farm. As a 17-year-old, I joined Wrightson NMA, and I'm still there 48, 49 years later with PGG Wrightson mm. as a stock agent. What kind of work is involved with being, you know, the president of this show? Well, not a lot. It's just it all revolves around the people around you. But no, it's I say that in jest. Um, a lot of it's chairing the meetings and just coordinating with a lot of people. Chris does a lot of that work too. He's our event manager. But everyone just pulls together. And like we're just outside the HIP Pavilion here, and you walk in there, there's about 40 or 50 ladies all with badges on, and all helping, which is great to see. And how nice to have COVID out the way. Definitely. Like, we had two years of no shows, no public shows. We had shows of, of a difference, mm. a, show, of a um, show with a difference. And it worked OK, but we, we miss the people and the people that are our income So how do you become president? Do you get a tap on your shoulder? Basically. Um, <laughs> I'd been involved with the AMP for 40-odd years just in the cattle section in 2017. I thought, oh, i would come along to the AGM. And I think people have me line, line me up right from there because we do struggle with people moving through the ranks. But we've got the next six years covered, so that's good. We'll get a, a senior vice, junior vice, and someone else that wants to come in behind, so that's really good. And it's all started today. What sort of things are happening? Well, today is uh, there's a lot of judging done today. Uh, the horses started at eight o'clock this morning. Um, we've got the dog trials, which are going up in the top corner. They started yesterday due to the large number of entries and that's going to revolve around the Trans-Tasman Test Australia vs New Zealand on the main oval later on this afternoon and finals tomorrow afternoon. Um, dog trailing has become very popular, there's a lot of people competing in it and it's good to watch, just the, the man and his dog. There are a lot of stalls here. There's a lot of stalls here, mainly trade sites but we've got a craft area plus food stalls we struggle a bit sometimes with numbers, but we're competing with other events, fates, and that around the country. But it's pretty good. All the, all the food stalls are accommodated for and in full. How important is this show for the local community? Well, that's a wee bit personal, but I think it's very important. It's the it's the rural-urban connect. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but you just look look out here what you see. It, there's all all the stalls. They like to see people, their clients coming in generating a bit of business and we've got a theme which it revolves through the show the theme this year is let's create a buzz bees bugs and butterflies and you've got rude the bug man yes we have he comes tomorrow he's having shows in the president's hive which is just over here yeah quite excited to to meet him he's he's a bit of a hard case energetic enthusiastic why have you chosen that theme this year well i didn't choose it my sister did but, um, I was going to go with something basic like e-farming or something, but she came up with this bees, bugs and butterflies. So it took me a while to get my head around it, yeah. but I can see where she's coming from, so it's covering, covering the local gardener through to the, the cropping farmer and everything in between, and it revolves around the good bugs and bad bugs. And that's a topic that will get children into the tent as well. Well, we're trying to. Um, my sister Julia, she's done a lot of work. She's got a wee questionnaire of, of fact-finding Around the showgrounds, how many litres of milk is produced in mid-canterbury, how many whatevers, you know, she's got it all organised. Um, yeah, it's to get people involved too. And uh, the weather's coming right? Slowly. It was bitterly cold this morning, I can tell you that. But as I tell everyone, it can only get better. How many people are you hoping to get through the doors today? Oh, today is probably limited. There's a lot of school kids and a few farmers. There are big days tomorrow. Mm. Um, do we get four or five thousand, Chris? something like that? Yeah. yeah.
7: Now Chris, um, what's your role here? Uh, so on the show events convener, so I look after all the, the sort of logistics of the show and the, the trade area and entertainment and food and, and all that sort of stuff so. We've got a team of us that come here and and help out and um, we've been here since Monday afternoon helping set up and, and put all the stuff out. It's quite amazing how it all comes together and then we've got our carnival on tonight, so first time we're opening up the side shows from five till nine so we um, we just want to try and see how it goes and, and hopefully make it a regular thing and, and there's a couple of food vans going to be there and in the future if it sort of works out, the hope is that we can grow it and we'll have a band and, and do all that on the on the Friday night so it's just something else that we can offer the, the McInnerbury community.
2: That's a great idea because um, you might be able to attract some t- Teenagers who might not come
7: in the day. Yep, yep, and then hopefully they they might decide, oh well, you know, I really enjoyed it, I want to come back on Saturday or you know the kids will come along on Friday night and they'll really enjoy it and they'll nag mum and dad that they want to go again on Saturday and, and they'll come back on Saturday. So yep. yeah, we're we're quite excited by it. Yes, yes. And what do you do when you're not helping out here at the show? Uh so I'm actually a builder, so I go back to, to buildings. So this is a quite a quite a nice change from building and it's a different group of people to talk to and and I've sort of come from a parents were farmers and my father was a president of the show and I just enjoy talking to farmers and all that so it's, it's really good
2: yes and Chris
7: is it a challenge getting people to volunteer nowadays? Um, it, it, it can be, but I don't know, I think the sort of farming community has been brought up and, and know that for things to happen you've got to volunteer and, and help in and, and dig in and help out. So I think we're quite lucky from that that point of view and we've had quite a few new members onto the committee and onto the organisation helping us, so yeah, it's, it's really good. Mm.
2: And Victor... I guess you'll be spending the day shaking hands, chatting to people, yep. Yep. seeing
6: people you haven't seen for a while. That's right, and, and that's where I see the show as, too, is a connect with um, people just coming to the show and having a yarn and get off the farm. What's your favourite part of the show? Well, I enjoy the shearing. Um, I always enjoy the, the physical work, but the skill that goes with it. Mm. But, I mean, all aspects I enjoy. Uh, shearing, you could say, is favourite. got calves tomorrow um, it's always reasonably popular. Dog trials is good to watch for a while. The horses, you know, everything.
8: I'm Ben Stock, I'm uh, Vice President. I'm following Victor uh, next for the next show. Are you a local farmer? Yeah, we're just farming uh, about half an hour out of town and um, yeah, we're dairy farming down there and so it's, it's a new district for us. I, I have moved from another district to get here and, and uh, it's a good way of meeting a lot of new folk and getting amongst it. Mm. How is farming going at the moment? It's, uh, it's had a wee check. I suppose the dairy side of things had a little bit of a check and it's, um, but look, I think it's shown a few signs of a bit of improvement so it's, it's, it's great, you yes. know, it's, it's good. And what's happening this week on farm? Um, We're in our first week of mating, so um, fortunately we've got some fantastic staff who can hold the front when I'm not there. And uh, so, yeah, first week of mating, so cycling cows, tail paint, and then uh, hopefully a few pregnant cows.
9: I'm Karen Tyne from Waimati, and I've come down and this morning. I competed in the coloured ring with some big horses, and as you can see, I've got miniatures. And I'm just getting ready this afternoon to compete in the miniature ring.
2: So how many horses in total have you come with?
9: Uh, competing three this weekend.
2: And these miniatures are gorgeous. How would you describe them?
9: Uh, they for each got their own little personalities. Yes. Some people can easily confuse them with Shetlands, actually, but they're a far finer type. They're about that size, but they're a far finer type. So... This guy is a stallion who hasn't been out for six years. I've recently got him, so he's a bit of an unknown today. And the other guy, he competed in the coloured ring this morning and picked up a few ribbons.
2: When you compete, what do you do?
9: Similar to what they're doing out here, basically round in circles. But the judge may ask for an individual show as well.
2: Yes. And um, are you from a farm?
9: Yes. Sheep and beef and horses.
2: What do you love about horses?
9: Ah, oh, just, they've always been in my life. Just, it's a hobby, really.
2: And do you compete regularly at AMP shows?
9: Yes. Not doing as many this year due to the cost of everything, but Ashburton is just, it's a case of I actually do Ashburton on my way north because I'll do Amberley show tomorrow.
5: Oh, you're on so a,
2: on a do, road
9: trip. I do too on a ro- we road trip for the weekend. As a breeder, it's a way for me to get the stallions out for people to see them to perhaps use them.
1: That was Karen Tyne at the Ashburton A&P show with her miniature horses. Cosmo was also talking to Ben Stock, Chris Watson and show president Victor Shakur. My name is
2: Woodsy, I'm the maker of Woodsy Rockers, I'm from Taranaki, you are listening to Country Live on RNZ National.
0: Next on Country Life, we're taking you back in time to the Second World War, when many women were left to farm on their own as their husbands and sons went to war. Rhoda McWannell was one of those women, and she kept a diary of her struggles and successes. Her great-niece, Alex Shepherd, has been combing through Rhoda's journals, and as Professor of Gender History at the University of Glasgow, she found them particularly fascinating. Here's a taste of Rhoda's wartime farming journals, read by actor Amy Tarleton.
5: They have no idea at home what it feels like to work at a great paddock of grass, ready to cut, and to know that you yourself have to lift and handle and stack every single blade of it and then, in rain and wind, feed it all out again. Or what it feels like to start milking a cow and find a hard quarter and then week after week henceforth to mess about with disinfectant in a separate cup and a separate bucket and disinfect your hands before you touch anything else and get rid of the filthy milk from that quarter and watch the other quarters go so that a cow worth 20 pounds one week is only worth two pounds the next.
10: She was quite twinkly she was very short and she had her hair drawn up in a bun. She looked a bit like a pepper pot. She was generally smartly dressed. She wore a frock and a cardie and she ate oat cakes for breakfast. My name is Alex Shepherd, and I'm a professor of gender history at the University of Glasgow. And Rhoda McWannell was my great aunt. I met her when I was four. I was lucky enough to have my fourth birthday at Roselle, which was the farm that she and her husband Mac created in the Waikato. She was an amazing diarist, so her journals begin in 1938 and she kept up writing for 50 years. Yeah, she loved writing, clearly loved writing. She needed to write as often as she could.
5: Our first lamb was born yesterday. A bonny, wee, brown-faced one, I had begun to feel sure we would be depending only on dead wool for our income this year, so it was a ray of hope. We took the ewes for a browse this morning, have taken them almost every day for weeks past. It is a lovely job on a fine day. Warm sun and sweet, dry bracken, and friendly fantails. It seems as if it must be good for them. It is so pleasant. The most striking thing
10: is just how hard she works. Her work is relentless. She's clearly a striver and she's a perfectionist. She has quite high standards, but she's a great commentator on farming in general and just how demanding that is, Um, particularly, actually, of women's
5: time. I suppose... That the experience I am having is common to farms all over the world at present. Not only on the side of the United Nations, but of enemy countries too. The neglected fields are unaware which side of the war their absent husbandmen are fighting on. And if it is like this here, what must it be like in countries that are actually devastated? This is the sixth lambing I have tackled without Mac. Amazing. It is an experience that does not fall to the lot of many women. I have really enjoyed this week, while the weather has been fine and things going well. They have a very small dairy
10: herd, which is mainly her responsibility. Um, And then once the war gets underway, they sell the cows, uh, because Mac leaves the farm, he serves in the army initially, at various camps training troops and then he's transferred to the air force and is involved in setting up the um, first bomber base um, in New Zealand um, for the Pacific war so he's away for most of the war he comes back occasionally on leave and you know Rhoda takes over the management of the farm and they they sell the cows and she's responsible for about 350 ewes, and her hens and the garden and still all the housework. Cooking, if there's ever any workers on the farm, then she's not just cooking for herself, but she's cooking for them. They're shifting sheep all the time. They're marching sheep up and down to keep them in good condition. Often she's working 18-hour days, sometimes even more she she describes her fatigue at times as well and then she'll finally get to bed and then she can't sleep because all the worries are going round her head and about whether or not she can get rid of her produce or
5: the apples are thorough bastards nobody will have them no nope, definitely not apples the government has complete control of them they are rationed It is impossible for a humble grower like me to reach the government with my apples in any way. They will make good compost. And what use will the compost be? I could use it to grow more produce, to make more compost.
10: She can be very wry about all the small crazy things about life that just don't add up that things that seem super sensible and straightforward to her, and when she runs up against obstacles, she can be very funny as a way of criticising what she sees as general idiocy
5: around her. I have entered the black market. Lemons keep ripening. Every box I can find is full We have wrapped up so many in newspaper that we use one day's paper before the next comes. Nobody wants them. I sent a case to Mary McWannell at a cost of four shillings fourpence. She goes crazy over them, says that in Christchurch they are unprocurable at any price, and these are the best we have ever sent. As we also have hundreds of pounds of perfect apples we cannot grapple with, I asked Anderson if he buys bundles. No. The demand is great and urgent, but he is forbidden by the government from buying local lemons. In disgust, I packed a basket of five dozen lemons, which I took into the co-op. I covered up this disgraceful secret with brown paper, slunk into the darkest corner of the shop, and slid it over the counter, whispering my guilty admission to the man that these were lemons. He made me sign a form and handed me seven and six I crept out, hoping nobody had noticed my transaction and feeling that one might almost as well be a case of VD as have a bit of produce to sell. There has been so much warm rain that the whole farm is growing what Matt calls dynamite. To wit, lush, green, soft, eczematous grass. There's no vet locally, so... If there's any bearing
10: trouble or anything like that, you know, she's in the front line for that. Although actually I think some of her medical training comes in handy there. She's not squeamish, you know, she will get stuck in.
5: This afternoon I put the ewes in number six and left them there over two hours because they'd been in there for about five days and I I thought they would be safe for that time. But when I took them out, there was a fine young ew down writhing with the violent indigestion of bloat, limbs stiff, eyes staring out of a head, breathing like a runaway steam engine and sides blown up tight as a drum. My heart failed me, not only at the sight of her suffering but at the thought of having to tell Mac I'd lost another you and also the knowledge that I must do something about it. I mixed a drench of baking soda and gave her that, and then felt for her ribs and chose the spot just below them, and with grim determination plunged the carving knife into her side. I expected gas to come whistling out, but it didn't. It came bubbling slowly in some blood like a little pool of boiling mud at Rotorua. It smelt just like the overpowering smell of cow's breath. I kept the puncture open with the knife and and held her so that her head was up and and persevered like that for an hour or more while gas kept bubbling out and her breathing became easier. Finally, she staggered to her feet and tottered away, looking okay as far as her face went and breathing normally, but very wonky in her gait. It was just dark then. I wonder if... She'll be alive in the morning. The one thing she,
10: she really doesn't like doing is killing animals, um, but she's, she's up for pretty much anything else. She writes about all of that and incredibly vividly. Um, she writes about what it's like to do the milking and have eczema on her hands. and
5: My hands had got to the stage with Milka's eczema that all the back of each thumb and every tiny division in the skin was cracking and beginning to bleed and so itchy I could tear them to ribbons and stinging furiously every time they got wet and acute cowpox inside my nose so that I had to go to all the bother of breathing in and out all the time instead of not knowing I was breathing. She writes about what it's like to dock lambs, and
10: yeah, she's just um, just full of vivid description.
5: It is miraculous having a dog that is eager and willing to work and and so keen that he can see himself what is needed. After that idle fool of a Joe all these years, it really thrills me. Jock is so young that he is often in doubt and he looks at me, just waiting for a hint. And then off he goes, like an arrow. He just floats over fences or gates. He rounds up sheep with hardly any guidance, to and fro, keeping them all in place, and nips without actually biting, and barks. The sheep, accustomed to Joe, of whom they take no atom of notice, don't know what the hell has struck them, and they go bounding about at an incredible speed, so I often have to keep shouting, Steady! Steady! I do not know the whistle to stop Jock, nor can I make him sit down. Anyway, it was sort of misty down there, and it took some time to get all the groups of sheep into one mob before opening the gate into the lane. I got them all up and was just about to put them in the yard when I saw Jock's attention wander. And there was Mac. He was amazed, having come to do the job and not knowing I could work the dog. He patted me on the back and said it was most impressive and I was a damned sight more capable than he thought I was. You know,
10: Rhoda had an idea for a book that she would love to have written, which was called Backline Soldiers. And it was about the unsung valour of women on the home front during the Second World War. I mean, Rhoda at the time would have been classified as a housewife and as a dependent, as a married woman. And her work wouldn't have counted or wouldn't have been seen to count. I think what's interesting is her writing shows just how vital her work was not just to the war but uh, Mac depended heavily on her Um, there's no way that farm could have run without her I think also seeing her growing confidence and independence uh, during the second world war lots of women whose husbands were away found and learned all sorts of new skills and a greater sense of autonomy. And I think it was a was a really interesting time for gender relations. She really knew what was going on from several sources. So she read the papers um, voraciously. She listened to the news. She has the radio on constantly and quite often records the... Um, the BBC bulletins from Daventry. This is
9: the BBC Home Service. Here is a special bulletin read by John Snag. D-Day has come. Early this morning, the Allies began the assault on the northwestern face of Hitler's European fortress.
10: In fact, there's a lovely entry when she talks about walking walking around her kitchen trying to speak in English-received pronunciation like they do on the BBC. So she's she's imitating um, the accent she hears on the radio. And, of course, because Mac is serving first with the Army and then with the Air Force, she gets all the military gossip from him. So she records quite a bit about petty squabbles happening at camp or whether or not Mac thinks New Zealand troops are ready especially after uh, the Japanese enter the war and there's a real fear in 1942 of of possible invasion. It's interesting because on the one hand she's really aware of what's going on globally you know where the action is um, when ships have been sunk or where battles are taking place what kind of losses are happening and then she feels the incongruity of how her life is relatively peaceful.
5: The other morning, Jock vanished. In consternation, I whistled and whistled and whistled. As time went by and further piercing and prolonged whistling produced no sign of him, I began to view the matter as a calamity of international importance. He is not in the habit of disappearing, and the poor darling has no road sense whatever, so I was oppressed with horrid forebodings for his safety. Furthermore, I was in urgent need of him to shift sheep at once, because otherwise I visualised myself spending the rest of the day treating bloat, which I had no desire to do, or alternately digging graves, which Prospect was dismaying to a degree. I prowled uneasily about, whistling my loudest, and thinking that obviously I cannot manage for even half a day without Jock. If he is lost, I shall have to get Mac to return to the farm. Awful pictures in my mind of me and Mac running blasphemously, round and round, barking at ewes. And then I thought that, incompetent as the army is now, without Mac it will fail utterly. Chaos will reign and the collapse of the New Zealand forces will result in a speedy and glorious victory for Hitler. And then quietly, and without haste, I saw Jock wriggle through his hole in the fence and come ambling towards me. I was so profoundly thankful to see him that I forbore to give him the thrashing he so richly deserved, but I did explain to him that he must not again jeopardise the Allied cause and the British Empire in that light-hearted manner. She'll say something like how odd it
10: feels to turn on the radio and hear news of the latest round of losses and then think, ah, it must be time for toast you know, that she's just getting on with her daily life. But then at the same time, her daily life, she starts seeing in these sorts of military terms. So, you know, her sheepdog Jock now is part of the imperial forces. And when mice get in the hen feed, she talks about bringing in the panzer division to try and eliminate them. And so she uses uh, a lot of the rhetoric of the day
5: So lovely, walking on the crisp sand and watching the ewes enjoying themselves, looking over the hills at the heavenly blue distances and green pastures. I was listening to all the nice little sounds, as if the world was gently purring. It was so quiet, and the warm sun on my back felt like a caress. The patter. Of the ewes' feet on the sand made just the same noise as tiny waves on a beach. The birds were all about, and the hedges winging to and fro. Not singing, but there was a constant twittering and cooing going on all about. In the distance a dog barked, and a train whistled. I walk in front with a stick, and Hoppy walks behind with Jock. The ewes trot along, up the banks and into the brambles and nose among the long grass for tasty morsels. After all the rain, it is grand to get out of the mud onto the firm sand, and change from mushy grass to lovely crunchy dry grass and bracken. I thought, watching them, they are exactly like us civilians in wartime, with Churchill in front to lead us and Hitler behind to bite us. And what each one makes of the journey depends entirely on individual initiative and and enterprise. The extraordinary thing is that, having got this far, I would much rather carry on and finish the job myself than hand it over. I am exceedingly proud of my war effort.
0: Rhoda McWannell, farmer, writer and painter, brought to life by actor Amy Tarleton. You also heard from Rhoda's great-niece, Professor Alex Shepherd, on the phone to me from Glasgow. The diaries are now with the Alexander Turnbull Library and we'll put some links on our web page. Alex hopes to put out an edition of Rhoda's wartime diaries and longer-term an online account of her life and times.
1: Now, next week... We meet Fraser Ross, who's been looking after Aru Whenua bush near Temuka for nearly 50 years. It looked more like a battlefield when he first set eyes on it following a huge 1975 storm that knocked over many of its mature trees. Find out more about the restoration project next week on Country Life.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for. Thanks so much for joining us. Do send us your feedback to country at rnz.co.nz. We love hearing from you. Especially if you have ideas for stories.
1: Kaki amo. Bye now.